Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful for the faithful. I'm David Staples, the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. It's a beautiful day out there. Uh, mm-hmm. We're inside, but hopefully we'll both be outside sooner than later. And uh, the Leafs game's coming up. Leafs, Habs, game seven tonight, Bruce. Mm-hmm. I'll probably be watching some of it. I see that um, the Leafs have now figured out a way to get 550 frontline healthcare workers in there, fully inoculated. Into the game. Totally baffling to me why they couldn't get, you know, match Montreal. Like, you have these fully vaccinated people, they're frontline healthcare workers. I mean, get a little creative there. But anyway, it's their province. They'll figure it out. They won't be selling tickets for 2,000 U.S. dollars a crack like they were in Montreal on uh, for Saturday night. But they also, I bet you they won't have any Habs fans there like they had Leafs fans in the center bell on Saturday night as well. It'll be, it'll be stacked with uh, very much local support. I, so the Habs just, I thought they, someone, I read somewhere they had frontline workers, but it just must have been anyone if they're, oh, you know. Oh, they, they had 2,500 tickets. Real tickets to sell. All right. Well, it's good for Montreal. Um, uh, and we'll so see uh, what happens tonight. I hope Montreal wins, although I don't have that strong a feeling about it. I, I'm one of the relatively few people left who actually remembers the last time Toronto and Montreal went to game seven. It was in the 1964 Stanley Cup semifinals. And the uh, the Habs had finished first overall and the Leafs third. And in the structure of the day, first played third, second played fourth in the first round. Never made sense to me then or now. And Toronto, uh, Montreal won games one, three, and five. Toronto won games two, four, and six. And then they turned the tables on game seven on a Dave Keon hat trick and a 38-save performance by Johnny Bauer in the Toronto cage, and the Leafs beat the Habs upset 3-1 to one en route to their third consecutive Stanley Cup. Toronto Maple Leafs I'm talking about here, and I'm also saying I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way to put it. <laughs> it was a six-team NHL then, and I'm thinking like any team that's won its division uh, in the NHL has now won the equivalent of winning the Stanley Cup in the old days, essentially. It's because four leagues this year. Absolutely. Yeah, they've beat uh, six other teams. So it's a heck of a lot easier back then to win the Stanley Cup, which is never mentioned, right? Like, you know, uh, rarely mentioned, I should say. Mm-hmm. But it is it is quite an accomplishment now to get out of the first round of the playoffs, which the Oilers did in 27, 2017. You know, they, they won the equivalent of a Stanley Cup in the old days. They beat out whatever it was, not many teams to uh, it, uh, advance out of the first round of the, of the playoffs. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I don't, I know there's lots of fans who, who want to rub it in on Toronto if they lose, especially because of all the total BS that comes out of Toronto when the Oilers go out and the, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, the foolish kind of, oh, McDavid's done in Edmonton and blah, 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 all that nonsense. He wants so, to join a successful program for the playoffs, so that means he's coming to Toronto. Yes. Yeah, hasn't just, won a bloody playoff series since before the lockout and the cap, before the salary cap era. And some of the logic just escapes me, but uh, I try not to uh, take the bait too often. It's the biggest hogwash <laughs> out of... Is Toronto Rose Hogtown? Is that still something one of the Hogtown, yeah. The Hogwash six. out of Hogtown. Yeah, uh, yeah, there you go. 
And uh, anyway, we hear it all the time. So people like to to give it back to them. You know, since Twitter, I've seen there there are tons of great Leafs fans. So I try to I just keep that in mind, and I think okay, in the media class there, there's a few lame brains, and I just it's 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 I like keeping track. It's fun. It's good to keep track. Uh, I I think of all the nonsense that we've heard over the years. You know, from from that small media clique, and you know, there's some fans who think the same way, but most of those Leafs fans are just like us. They're fans of their team. They love their team, and they're right. they're uh, good hockey fans. So I don't hold well, it against the city of Toronto or against Leafs fans that the, the the fact that there's a few clucks uh, clucking. Well, due respect to uh, media types everywhere, but there's uh, uh, clucks here and there and everywhere in, uh, in any market. You'll find one or two, I think. And I mean, Toronto has got gifted with Cathal Kelly and Steve Simmons and a couple other beauties. But uh, uh, it, it's uh, they've also have some real actual beauties like James Myrtle, you know. And and so and most well, of the time, I mean, my, my brother, yeah, 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 yeah. My brother is a lifelong Leafs fan, and I was until I moved to Edmonton and we got our own team, and I had to choose. And it was an easy choice, I got to say. But uh, uh, most Leafs fans are hockey fans, you know. And uh, there's a few, like the lead with the keyboards that uh, get under people's skins. But uh, they, I don't think they represent the majority. So the Bakersfield Condors deserve some congratulations. They won the divisional playoffs. They uh, beat the Henderson, whatever they're called. Silver Knights. Silver Knights. And... Um, <laughs> It's a good. It's a. It's a strong program there. I mean, I think this team, uh, more than the uh, really strong team, I think it was in 2018-19. This team is more built, was <laughs> much more built on strong veteran players. This team had a had a really strong spine of veteran players. Adam Cracknell, six games, ten points. Seth Griffith, six games, seven points. Uh, other veteran leaders were Brad Malone, Theodore Landstrom, who's, you know, 26, 27, whatever he is now. And he played apparently with a broken hand, missed right. some of the games at the end. Kevin Gravel pl- played a ton of ice time. Um, that was the heart of this team, along with a couple um, players who are still kind of in the prospect class, right at the end of their prospect class days, Tyler Benson, who scored a big goal, win, the winning goal in, in the third period, wow. got a nice feed from Cooper Marodi, who took a stretch pass from a real prospect, Michael Kesselring, to score that winning goal. Uh, Kesselring had also scored the first goal, for, or helped score the first goal for Baker, Bakersfield because he walked the line and got a puck on net, which was tipped in. Um, other prospects on that team, Phil Kemp played in the final game. Uh, Raphael Lavoie played in all the... Yeah, Phil Kemp scored a goal, kind of an outside shot. Um, Raphael Lavoie, they all count. Raphael Lavoie uh, was in the series. He's like 20, he's 20 years old. He's probably on that, of that team, the youngest player on the team and probably the best prospect who played in that game for the Oilers, other than maybe Stu Skinner, uh, who had a really strong year. Bruce, Stu Skinner. This yeah, year, that's the guy had me. about the fifth best. Uh, I think it was about the fifth best save percentage in the entire AHL, and uh, he's got one more year where he can play in Bakersfield. I think the Oilers want to take advantage of that and have him play the full year down there. Although Ilya Konovalov is coming over, and they have Olivier Rodrigue, they're going to have the three goalie issue. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, congratulations, Jay Woodcroft is 
done a hell of a job in the AHL. He's really served the Oilers organization well. There's a steady stream of players coming out of that team. So there's a number of people who deserve credit. You know, Keith Gretzky, Peter Shirelli, Ken Holland. They've all had a hand in, in, in building up that franchise. Woodcroft at the top of the list, maybe. But the player procurement's been a lot better as well. Yeah, Stuart Skinner had the sixth best goals against average in the league among qualified goalies and the sixth best save percentage in the league, 914. And really, he, you know, there was the guys ahead of him, like several, two of them played 11 games. So, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they set the qualification bar pretty low. Bakersfield actually played more games. The Pacific Division played more games than most, and they got this little playoffs in, rapid-fire playoffs. But, uh, you know, Bakersfield, uh, they won uh, games two and three of their opening round series against San Diego in overtime, where a single mistake and they're eliminated. Uh, and all down Sweet. the stretch and in the in overtime, Skinner never, never uh, allowed that killer goal. And they were, you know, 2-1, 3-2 kind of games. They won in the final against uh, Silver Knights. They won the first game also in overtime, 2-1. And then the last game, they won 3-2, and he faced well over 30 shots. I can't remember the exact number, but uh, Henderson brought the heat, you know, trailing for the whole third period, and and Skinner had almost all of the answers. And so that's real nice progress from him. And, of course, he made his NHL debut this year, and, you know, it's a really big development year for Stuart Skinner, and that's a real positive in the system. And obviously huge for the Oilers because goaltending is an ongoing issue. Um, we'll we'll get to that in just one second. I, I forgot one veteran who probably was their best player, Ryan Stanton. Mm-hmm. He is a fantastic AHL defenseman. Um, to the point where I think if an NHL team was desperate for a third-pairing guy, Ryan Stanton is just, uh, he's, a, he's a very, very solid hockey player. His skating is a little, you know, it's not great, but he's positionally fantastic. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens with the Bakersfield team. There could be a lot of change there, right there. You know, you never know if these veterans will come back. We never know. Right. Uh, Woodcroft's been there, what, three years now. So, mm-hmm. uh, he's been there for some time. He might be wanting to have that NHL itch again. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, could he come he's... to the order as an assistant coach? Who knows? Like he, he's done well he, running his own program though. And, and, uh, an NHL team might become come come a call on Bruce. He signed a three-year deal after his first year there, so he's got one year left on it. But, of course, okay. an AHL deal, if you get a real NHL offer, it's not many organizations that are going to say, no, sir, you've got to stay, stay down there. Uh, I think one team, one team did that, but then they promoted the guy after the following season. Maybe it was Detroit with Blashill, or it was one of those types of situations yeah. where the team had invested in the guy and they said, no, we still got plans for that guy and we're, we're going to enforce. And I, I, maybe it was Detroit, but it was, it was, uh, it's happened once. And maybe the orders have plans for, uh, Jay Woodcroft, but I'll tell you what, they don't know what plans I got for head coach until after next year's playoffs. I think Dave Tippett's in there solid, but if they go next year and they get bomb out in the first round of the playoffs again, then Tippett is very quickly on shape, shaky ground. And they may be looking for, uh, the next, you know, turn the page. But we won't know that until April of 2022. So I'm not sure what promises that can be made that can also be kept. <laughs> yeah, 
you can't make any because it's no. you know you, you're you have Stop. to every every everyone's real focus in the organization is Dave Tippett's going to succeed and you can't have a, a right. you know you could have a secret thought but you couldn't have a verbal with another person in the organization mm-hmm. I don't think conversation level if t- Tip screws up you're the next guy like that ain't going to go over too well I mean this isn't Game of Thrones this is you gotta. You got to keep it on the uh, up and up. I, Bruce, I thought Michael Kesselring looked good in the game, last game especially. He wasn't playing much. I, I watched one earlier game. He didn't play much. But when Lenstrom went out, I guess with a broken hand, uh, according to one yeah. f- hardcore fan of the team, who is my source mm-hmm. on that, and he, Rich. Uh, Rich, Eastern, Eastern Oil, Refu- Eastern, Eastern Refugee. refugee yeah, right. he would know, I think, because he follows the team religiously. Um yeah, so shout out to you, Rich. Um, mm-hmm. Mike Kesselring uh, played really well in the last game. He was He's a big mobile defenseman who can move the puck. And if Tyson Berry goes, which is looking more like a, you know, I think there's a, what, one in 10 chance he comes back. But if Kesselring, um, Kesselring would, I think, would vault to the, uh, in terms of just right shot D-man, Bruce, number four in the organization. Um, wow. Yeah. So they might sign, they might sign a right shot D man, a more veteran one to, so that's, but I think Philip, uh, Berryland's coming over. Who's a right shot. I think he was supposed to come over. And of course there's other guys who can shift over and play the right side. So right. that's, you know, he, he's not necessarily the definite guy, but you know, he could oh. in theory get a call up next year. If he, if he keeps progressing in Bakersfield, he's got a future in this organization. He's, you know, he's, what is he? Sixth. Six five, six four, um, two two about two fifteen, two twenty. He's a great big guy who can who can move the puck. So he's going to need time in the AHL. But I liked him. Lavoie Bruce, I didn't think particularly played well in the in the moments that I saw at least. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he he's going to have to. He looked better earlier on in Bakersfield. Um, like I was expecting more of a him playing a more physical game, more involved physically in the playoffs, and uh, I didn't see that necessarily. I think Tyler Benson uh, on that team is he's just a he's a fine hockey player, smart hockey player, not exceedingly fast, but really good with the puck. So um, I think he's a very similar player to Dominic Cahoon, and. Um, He's certainly ready for the NHL if he's ever going to get that chance. So Dominic Cahoon got a chance. Didn't exactly crush it. Maybe the Oilers are going to go in Benson's direction um, this coming year instead of a, instead of a player like Cahoon. For, the, you know, someone who will be, I think Do- Tyler Benson's a good checker, so he could play the third or fourth line. I wouldn't have a problem at all with him in that role. Yeah, well, you'd like to think they're going to graduate a forward yeah. From the miners at some point along the line, you know, here we've had two years into the into the um, Ken Holland, Dave Tippett regime, and the only rookie forwards that have officially played for the Oilers, Tyler Benson played seven games uh, last year, and Ryan McLeod played ten games this year. That's it. Now, uh, um, Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, who you might think was a rookie last year, technically wasn't because he'd, uh, he'd played too many games in two different prior seasons. So he was, you know, certainly a young player graduated from the minors, which is what you want. But uh, uh, they've uh, all the rookies they've brought up have mostly been defensemen. And yeah. 
there's, you know, and you, you've got guys down there, uh, well, certainly, well, McLeod, who's now on the cusp, but Marodi and Benson that are, uh, uh, look to be reasonable options. And uh, Ken Holland keeps putting, bringing in these sort of mid-level pros and puts them in their path, and they haven't been able to beat those guys out for jobs. The gray beards, so, Bruce. The gray beards. Well, yeah, that's well, like 27 years old. That's not a very gray beard, you know. And talk, talk about gray beards when you get to be senior citizens like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know exactly what Holland meant with the gray beards comment. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, anyway, uh, what what gray he's gray beards? That's that's what Toronto has. You know, Toronto has Thornton, Spezza, Simmons, Felino. It's actually yes, a beauty, beauty group of, of veterans. There's four of them, and they're all there's reasons to like those guys. But uh, uh, and the Oilers don't have that kind of player, right? They don't have Eric Stahl and Corey Perry that we're watching in that series either. They don't have that kind of player. It's a, you know a true, deeply experienced graybeard, uh, and I think that may be something that goes on the um, on the uh, shoppers list this summer to find. Uh, way to bring in a Ryan Getzlaff or, you know, a guy that's been around for a long time, has been there, done that. And the Oilers have a lot of 27-year-old pros that haven't got huge resumes in terms of uh, career accomplishments, you know. Reminds me of this study that came out of um, Yellowstone, I think about a year ago, where they where they looked at the wolf packs fighting. Oh, yeah. And they found the difference was... Um, if a wolf pack had some older wolves, they tended to win. The more older wolves, they tended to win the fight. Oh, yeah. And these are fights to the death. So, yeah. There you have a proof that the Oilers need to bring in. Uh, proof that the Oilers need to bring in some older players. But that was interesting. That was unexpected that uh, that, that would be the case. Um, so, Elliot Friedman and Bruce had some, some news. Mm-hmm. Really knew the... Uh, really newsy, exceedingly newsy uh, interview in Calgary, of all places, on the Sportsnet 960 radio. And he talked about a lot about Nugent Hopkins, and we'll get to that. But before we get before we dig into this, he, he talked about buyouts. And it was just a quick comment. And he said, uh, it's possible Oilers would buy out goalie Miko Koskinen, who has one year left on a deal that pays him $4.5 million. I got to think it's Koskinen. It's possible he's the guy. And maybe Neil, but the problem with Neil is he's on your cap for four years. I'm not as convinced about one. I think it's more likely to be Koskinen, which kind of took everybody took me by surprise. I, w- I think most people in Edmonton were assuming at that point that they were going to buy out Neil and not Koskinen. Mm-hmm. Although four years of buyout payments in a flat cap era I can see why the Oilers might be hesitant to do so. And the other the other benefit of buying out Koskinen, if you're convinced that he's not your your goalie, um, you bring Mike Smith back. Well, you know you have one one pretty decent bet for for next year. I know a lot of people just look at his age and say he's he's done you know but when when you look at it the funny thing about these these old goalies is, is when you look at them bruce they the ones who who succeed when they're 38 39 40 it's usually not just one year like they they cannot they often put together two three four years when when they're that age where they're actually pretty good so we'll see if mike smith can do that but 
they they might want another goalie. You know, you know some of the some of the names mentioned is that Allmark from Buffalo or Merz Leakins from Columbus, just who's who's a seemingly a better bet than than Koskinen. So that was interesting to me that. And, and we're going to get into all these players in a little bit more depth in in coming podcasts, but uh, I can see that I can see if they went buying out Koskin and instead of Neil, I can see the thinking there. I don't think it's crazy talk. At least, what's your take? <sighs> My take is that a buyout um, at most advantages the team would be Neil. Uh, opens up more cop space for two years. Like they're stuck with 5.75 million for two more years on that guy. If they, you know, if they, they cut the cord, as um, Elliot says, they have to go four years at a, you know, 1.92 or whatever it is, million dollars uh, on cap retention, which is painful. There's no way around it. I mean, but that was sort of the whole point of that that trade of getting Neil was that at least it was buyoutable. And honestly, Neil, since, uh, you know, basically October of the year that he arrived here has not really done a whole heck of a lot to really help the team. He, he did help them get off to the very hot start in 2019-20 when he was on fire in October. And since then, I mean, since, since the calendar turned to 2020, uh, he's got five goals but bruce he's and, their gray beard man he he's their gray beard and uh <laughs> he's a gray beard that got benched after game two of the playoffs because he couldn't keep up so yeah that, that yeah you do have a good point i forgot him when i was talking about all these other gray beards earlier you know what's but, good about a gray beard mm-hmm. is though when they earn about a million a year and not six well, million yeah. a year, right? That's what you want your yeah. gray beards to earn is is a million a year. Not yeah, Tor- Toronto's four combined make less than James Neal. You know, that's what like you want. Look, like look at Bakersfield. Yeah. You just you just did an update. <laughs> All the gray beards that mm-hmm. helped them win, yeah. like Cracknell's mm-hmm. what thirty five. He was their best player yeah. um, in the playoffs. So you can see what they're saying, but maybe it should maybe the gray beard should be Adam Cracknell mm-hmm. on the Oilers next year and not. James Neal, right? Like have those guys, but anyway, there's not buyouts are, they're just, I, I haven't really, I, I just wanted to report the news. I haven't made up my mind on who's oh, better to buy out yet myself. I want to dig into it a little bit more because all these things are, uh, one other piece. They're going to buy out both of them. Let's put it that way. But yeah. if, if you're giving me the choice, I would say Neil opens up more cap space. He opens up cap space in the second year as well as the first. And, Koskinen, there are different ways to um, uh, to clear off a contract. You can retain and make a trade, or you can make a more punishing trade, or you make some kind of deal with Seattle, which would also be a punishing trade, I guess. You know, there's there's uh, different ways to do it, or maybe you just say he was uh, he's going to be our backup going forward, but he's not going to be our number one. But, as long as they don't pull a poo, which is <laughs> buying out a guy like Benoit Pouliot and then not using the cap space, is that that's my recollection? They bought him out and then they didn't use the cap space. Is like what the fuck? And so, so they're in this tough spot because they're going to need like they don't necess- they don't need the cap space to sign Darnell Nurse and yes, they pull Yarvi and theoretically uh-huh. Yamamoto and Bear this coming year, mm-hmm. and whoever else they're going to have to pay up on. But they're going to need 
this not this year, but next year, they're going to need a lot more cap space for players. So they're in a very fraught situation where they where they can have like guys on one year deals essentially if they bring anyone in. So let's say Thomas Tatar, let's say, mm-hmm. um, is brought in, who's now currently benched in Montreal and not playing. Although some people are gaga let's over Thomas Tatar. Let's get that guy. <laughs> He's a he's a uh, analytics hero right now, so let's sign him up. And uh, maybe he's a good player. I don't know, but he is a player. He, he is a good player. But he he so a guy like him, like in some ways, it's a blessing for the Oilers. He's being benched right now because his his value is crashing. But mm-hmm. it could mean one year bring him in on a one year deal because that's mm-hmm. what makes sense for uh, the Oilers is a, a couple guys on these Tyson Berry kind of contracts, which are. Hard to get people to convince them to come in on a one-year deal, but maybe not so much in this new NHL. So the Oilers might be able to sign a couple guys, two or three year, who are fairly decent hockey players like Tyson Berry on one-year contracts. And that should be the play, I think, this summer, is that one-year wonder deal. Well, maybe the play then is to keep Neil for the first of his two remaining years and just buy him out in 2021 and then only have two years to... to uh pay him out and create some cap space just at that time that the nurse and uh, Pulley Yarvey deals, among others, will be expiring in a year's time because those guys are going to get raises. I think the guys that are expiring this year, Nuge, Larson, Barry, I mean, the three of them, I, I, I'm not sure that you'd have to pay much more than the cap hit they're making already to re-sign the three of them combined. Uh, certainly, uh, Nuge and Barry, or sorry, Nuge and Larson, I would think you'd probably be able to re-sign them for the same dollars as they were making now. Barry's looking for a raise, and I don't think they're going to sign Barry. So, Friedman said on Larson, I heard Larson's number is right around where it is now. So it right. looks like the orders are very close. I'm, and I'm listen. We'll we'll get into Larson in more detail, but I'm really glad Adam Larson's coming back. I mean, from from my way of looking at the game, he's been as valuable to the Oilers as any defenseman on the team in the last few years, including Darnell Nurse. He's just, his defense is exemplary. He's one of the best shutdown demon, I think, in the NHL. And um, he's still got a couple years, at least, you know, left you'd expect. He's, he, I think he's 29 next year. You know, so if they mm-hmm. give him a three-year deal, they're signing 29, 30, 31. You know, defensemen usually are, those are usually pretty safe years for defensive defensemen. Um, after that, it starts to get a little little iffier. So I'm thrilled to hear Adam Larson's coming back. I think that's a bargain contract for a player as good as Adam Larson personally. If he signs for what he's signing now, it's it's excellent that he wants to come back, will come back. So um, that was a bit more news from Friedman. And the final piece of news, Bruce, is Edmonton's goal is to find out which of its young players can play, Friedman said, naming uh, yeah. Evan Bouchard and Ryan McLeod. And his quote was... Uh, generally, what I think they're going to do is they're going to try to turn it over more to their young players and find out who they can count on long term. To me, that is probably the right thing to do. And considering the fact that they have Tyler Benson, Cooper Marodi, who we didn't talk about, uh, Dylan Holloway, um, who wasn't just fantastic player at the, at the U.S. college level last season as a 19-year-old, um, that's three forwards who could, and Ryan McLeod himself, four forwards, all young, talented players who can attack and play some two-way hockey, who can help the Oilers on the wing, in theory. So I, it's not the worst thing in the world at some point to think, yeah, let's see what we do have in Tyler Benson. Let's 
Let's let's not bring in, uh, you know, a Tyler Annis or a Dominic, Dominic Cahoon. Let's see what he can do. Right. Get, get a top six left winger by all means. Yes. But when you're looking for pros to fill out your bottom six, well, you got this pro that you invested now five years of development time and three, three of them on his entry-level contract uh, with a, just one tiny cup of coffee in the NHL. Uh, so he's, you know, and two very good years in the AHL. And anyway, he's uh, um, uh, he's one that they certainly should consider for like a, a, a full-time NHL job of at least, you know, being on the roster and being a regular uh, contributor in the bottom six. Now we move on to Friedman's news about Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And um, I want to, for the last few years, we've done something called the Keep hold or fold series and this is a this is a based on poker uh terminology and neither of us play poker so we're probably getting this wrong but my understanding is in poker like when you're playing poker uh you can keep because you gotta you know you got a couple kings or aces and and you you think you're gonna win the hand so you're 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 all in and you're you're going for it and then hold is well maybe you're just waiting for the right card so you're kind of holding you're waiting to see what comes up and if things turn out then then you will uh make the bet and then fold is obviously there's nothing there so you're just moving on so this is our keep hold or fold uh series and and uh apologies if we've gotten the poker terminology all screwed up but uh, that's we're gonna stick with it uh, so nugent hopkins bruce ryan nugent hopkins is the first mm-hmm. player you're looking at so you're going to be looking at play, all the Oilers players in turn and, and kind of rating them on their season in the next uh right. six weeks and um, first up is Nugent Hopkins and keep, hold, or fold, Bruce. Keep, hold, or fold. What's okay. your pick? Uh, well, I know even less about poker than you do. Um, but I'm, <laughs> well, that, I'm, I don't uh, think so. <laughs> I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to say hold, meaning you do make him a decent offer, but you don't break the bank, that you've got to keep him at all costs. Uh, that... Uh, you, you know, you do it within a within a reasonable budget, um, uh, but also within a reasonable term. And at this point, uh, and, and this is a player I've got all day for, uh, but he's now coming off his 10th NHL uh, season and showed a distinct decline in his offense this year, uh, despite fabulous opportunity. And I'm, you know, reluctant to say, Let's push a six or seven year deal at big money for uh, for this player. So uh, I'm in the middle. And... I'm I'm definitely in the hold camp as well. Mm-hmm. Let's. Here's what Friedman said because he what you know his his he kind of shook Oilers Oil Country. I'm going to suggest with his commentary, mm-hmm. and he was asked about what the Oilers should should do uh, with Nugent Hopkins, and he said, "quote I got to tell you, that one has been tough." They were really close before the season started and it fell apart at the last second. I don't know what is going on to happen there. Whatever was on the table then, I'm not going I'm not convinced is on the table now. We're gonna have to see. That's a negotiation that went sideways. They really tried a couple of times. I don't know how to handicap that one. I really don't. Something happened there. I believe it was always the plan that Nugent Hopkins was gonna stay and they wanted to keep him. I think anyone who is familiar with this situation will tell you. They thought it was going to happen, and it got mangled. 
And now, and now I don't know. To me, I don't think it's the worst thing if someone walks, as long as you do something good with the cap room. So there's there's some yeah. discussion. Like, you know, there's some free agents out there. Zach Hyman is a name that's come up in Edmonton um, a little bit, tossed around. And, mm-hmm. you know, so so there is. It's true. Like, you know, you have that $6 billion hole on a flat cap era where the cap's not going up, apparently, for three, four, five years. We'll see mm-hmm. how that turns out. Um, but the cap's not going up. And um, you have this $6 million slot. What do you want to spend it on? And that's a really... Right. It's, it's not, I, I agree with Friedman's essential point. It is not the end of the world if Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, if he wants, let's say, six and a half or seven million dollars in over five years or six years. Mm-hmm. And the owners just say, listen, based on where this went this last year, where, or that's not happening. Like, we can't make that bet on you, Ryan, this year because you just didn't, you didn't earn that kind of contract in blunt terms. And, um, I don't know how many order fans would disagree with that, Bruce. I think uh, some would. Some are dead set on signing the guy. But the prudent thing probably is to, I don't know. what I, I, To me, that they could go a little bit more, especially in the first year. Um, well, it's the, the salary cap's averaged out, so that doesn't matter. But I, I'd like to see a th- maximum three-year deal with Nugent Hopkins, paying him... You know, six million a year. Let's say he let's you might have to go higher with the money, but for him to come back at the salary he's at with the flat cap, um, you know, I don't, I just don't know. For him to find a, a team, a, a contending team who's got the cap space and wants to use it on him long term, you know, all four of those things. How many suitors are there out there for Ryan Nugent Hopkins? I mean, he could sign in Ottawa. There's a rumor, you know, Ottawa might be interested right. in him. How many teams, though, that are contenders with cap space who 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 will pay him more than six million a year long term? Bruce, I don't. Is there any, you know maybe Seattle? Maybe uh, Seattle. Maybe Seattle. Uh, is there any team out there like that? Am I am I missing something? Because I his best bet for 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 getting the same amount of money might be Edmonton. Not many contenders have uh, the cap space. You know, so the question is, you know, it's how, how important is that? And at this point in his career where he's just made $42 million over seven years, you know, that that's, uh, uh, and he's still going to be well paid no matter where he goes, right? So is it an extra, say, million bucks? I mean, maybe if it's a long-term deal, then you're going to go for it and say, I'm going, you know, Ottawa is the next big thing and in two or three years they're going to be, better than where Edmonton is now. I mean, that's the kind of kind of uh, question that he's going to have to answer. But uh, he, uh, his year this year, and whether it was the breakdown in those negotiations, who knows, uh, David, how much that impacted his, uh, you know, his psyche and his performance. You never really, really know what's going on. Like he said the right things. He's, he's always been a pro. He played more time this year with Connor McDavid than any other Oiler. And when he was out there, uh, uh, what they have uh, 20 goals for, 19 against. They just broke even, you know. And that's your first and third highest paid players on your team. You got to be winning that part of the game. Got to, got to win that part of the game. And yeah, yeah. Anyways, it was. Uh, um, 
not the breakthrough that many of us hoped for after the way he finished uh, 1920 with the, you know, the huge spurt where he got 41 points in his last 31, 30 games playing with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto mostly. And it still puzzles many of us why the decision was made and, and stuck to so religiously to keep uh, uh, to keep him with uh, McDavid for most of the year and away from Drysaddle for almost all of it. Because when yeah. he wasn't McDavid's winger, Drysaddle was. My my theory is that McDavid, and this is just a theory, this is just speculation. Mm-hmm. Connor McDavid wanted to play, you know, he there was two really good wingers that looked like on the orders last year, Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins. Didn't seem, probably didn't seem fair, maybe to the coach or to McDavid to have both of them with drive saddle and not one of the McDavid. So spread, you know, balance the team out. Tippett said this, balance the team out, put Nugent Hopkins with McDavid. So that there's probably, they're thinking that that's the best idea. Balance it out and get both of these guys going. Well, it turned out that both Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins scoring absolutely crashed under that scenario. Drysaddle's um, rate of grade A shots at even strength crashed. It just was, a, it, it didn't work at even strength necessarily for any of those players and certainly not for Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto. So Bruce, on the, on the plus side though, like the reason mm-hmm. I'm excited about the idea of Ryan Nugent Hopkins coming back and th- there yeah. are a few reasons. Oh, sure. And they don't have to do with him being, they're not sentimental reasons like him being a fan favorite or him wanting to finish out his career in Edmonton. I think I've moved on from that kind of view of the NHL, kind of a sentimental view of the NHL. Players need to make the right decision for themselves. Teams made them need to make the right decisions for themselves. And it's a big mistake to to invest a lot in that kind of thinking. For one thing, you're just going to be eternally disappointed as a fan as players move on from your team. And because it, it, it's the nature of hockey right now, they have the freedom to move on. They should use it if they want to use it. And the team should accept that. And the teams also have a limited amount of money to spend. And they've got to be very wise in how to spend it. So there's two reasons, I think, to take the kind of unsentimental, hard-headed view of hockey right now. And so it's not, I'm not where I was in, when they sold Gretzky in, in uh, 88, where I thought that was this huge betrayal, right? Um, or even when Pronger left, when he, of course, he had a contract with the, with the team. So that was a little different. So if Nuge wants to move on, he's free to do so. And I wish him well. And if the others decide they can't afford him, and want to use on money on the on someone else. I wish I I I'm also cool with that. I think that's a, a reasonable decision from the Oilers. All that said, here's what Nuge has to offer. He's not a strong defensive center. He's a pretty good defensive winger, mm-hmm. according to the way we rated the players, Bruce. And, and if you do, if you consider Drysaddle to be a center, he was the Oilers' best two-way winger this year. When it came for came to creating grade A scoring chances, making major contributions to grade A chances and limiting them uh, defensively, he averaged out the best. Now he was playing with McDavid, which helps your offensive numbers. You pass the puck to McDavid, better things are likely to happen. But he was part of that. He's a he is a solid offensive player uh, on the wing, and he's a solid defensive player. So it losing your best two way winger doesn't excite me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a little bit worried about that. I also think the Oilers are finally going to find a winger for Connor McDavid um, this summer. It could be Dylan Holloway who slots in there, but they might actually find that veteran guy because um, they have some money to do so, who's going to fit with Connor McDavid. So I think there is a good 
chance that from day one of training camp next year, we are going to see the dynamite line. And although they didn't play well together this year, we, we know that Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto were both banged up uh, to some extent this year. They both missed playing time for various reasons. And I think if from day one of training camp that the commitment is there to go with Drysaddle and Yesapuli, excuse me, uh, McDavid, Yesapuli, Arvey, and, you know, winger X, and then go with the dynamite line, that we could see that line reignite. I don't see any reason they can't play well again together. They're all great give-and-go hockey players. They played well in the past. Uh, if there's a commitment in everybody's head to make these two different lines work, like there was this year with the various lines they used, which didn't work out, um, Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, and Pugliarvi, Cahoon, Yamamoto, and Dreisaitl. Those were the two lines they committed to most this year. Mm-hmm. So I think Nuge comes back, earns the same money uh, for the next three years. I'm I'm good with that because I think he can s- still really help this team win. And uh, so that's what I'm hoping happens, that it's uh, the money that he wants on a shorter term than he wants. It's a saw for both sides. And what that offers him is, Nuge, we're not saying you can't earn, like the owners would say, you, we're not saying you can't earn money when you're 33, 34. If you're still a good player, you'll get paid then and we'll do the paying. That's our commitment mm-hmm. to you. But you got, we've got to make the right decision here too. And um, <coughs> and then you say, to, if he says no to that, then you say, well, offers on the table for now. Um, mm-hmm. Check out the market and get back to us. Maybe the offer wouldn't be on the table at that point. It's like, take it or leave it. And we'll then, you know, get back to us when you check out the market. We'll see what, we'll see where we both are at that point, I guess. I'm not a master of negotiation, obviously. <laughs> I think I've just made that abundantly clear. But that's what I'm comfortable with as a fan of the team is short term at, at the same amount of money. Well, the other thing is uh, we do tend to focus a. Uh, Lion's share of our attention at five-on-five play when the you know the when the uh, ice is balanced and uh, for Nugent Hopkins a fair amount of his value comes on special teams. He's very good on the power play. He's been very good as the third wheel in the one-three-one uh, system that the Oilers have run for the last two years and basically devastated the league with finishing first in uh, power play conversion rates by handy margins in both seasons. He's been a part of that. He's the third wheel. I mean, it's obviously McDavid and Drysaddle are the key drivers. Uh, but they've been working with different point men, different front of the net men. Uh, Nuge has, uh, has the, uh, uh, you know, played a significant role on that power play. But, you know, the question is, can you replace all of the different elements in his game with the other guys that you bring in? Because you're also going to need to find someone who can kill penalties. And granted, you can do that for a lot less than $6 million a year, but it's a nice value add to a contract when that $6 million player can also kill penalties. Uh, although the goals against results this year suggest that he wasn't the best that they had at that uh, function. Yeah, Bruce, I guess if you're playing, if you're, so let's let's get our head around him going. Let's say he goes. Yep. When I think of the power play without Ryan Nugent Hopkins, yeah. Um, I think of or Tyson Berry, let's say. Let's say they lose both yeah. of them. Yeah. Um there's forward they have that money then to use on other players. So there might be someone they bring in, but let's say they can't even do that. They gotta go with what they have. Well, the thought of Darnell Nurse at the point or Evan Bouchard at the point, um, 
the thought of Evan Bouchard at the point really kind of thrills me when, I, when I'm, if I'm completely honest. Mm-hmm. And then, but, so then you have the left half wall. Who's there taking Nuji's place? Well, you have Kyler Yamamoto, not a great shooter, but you have Yesapuliyarvi, who who did one time a few pucks into the net. Now they had him as net front, but right. in Finland, Yesapuliyarvi played that spot, and he looked really good in Finland on the left dot, uh, one timing the puck and passing the puck well. You could also have Nurse at the point and Evan Bouchard, and Bruce. The thought of Evan Bouchard on the left dot, one timing the puck at the net. I'm not mm-hmm. convinced Evan Bouchard wouldn't be better than Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, in that spot in the power play. Now, it's a risk because he's a rookie and he hasn't done it at the NHL level yet. Mm-hmm. But he's a really fine offensive player who's mm-hmm. got a fantastic shot and is a great passer of the puck. So they have this guy who would slot right in there. They need someone mm-hmm. else at the point. But let's say Oscar Kleffbaum comes back and just goes back to what he did, which is just distribute the puck. Well, Darnell Nurse could also just distribute the puck. I saw enough mm-hmm. of Nurse this year if Klafbaum doesn't work out. So I'm not particularly alarmed on the power play. I think that there might be some decent options with that spot uh, if Nuge was to move on. In terms of the penalty kill, you know, they have slotted guys in there rather consistently, and it seems to be more of a systems thing where you can get players to move in on the penalty kill under this system that they have, which is pretty effective, and they do seem to do okay. I think Nuge is a very good penalty killer, but maybe they can find other players who can play that system. Ryan McLeod might be able to do it, for instance. This And the scary thing for, for Nuge is, when you think of his even strength scoring this year, replacing the actual results, I think... I think if it, if Nuge had better puck luck this year, Bruce, he would have mm-hmm. probably had about between five and ten more points. It's fair to say. He just there was some bad puck luck going on there, partly because he wasn't a great shooter of the puck this year. So he says he's going to work on it this summer. Um, but to replace his even strength scoring, he finished 343rd out of 432 regular NHL forwards. That's guys who played more than 200 minutes. 334 is fourth line scoring. That's fourth line scoring, Bruce. He's, he was in the same class oh. as Franz Nielsen, Adam Gadette, Cedric Paquette, uh, right. Tanner Pearson. Tanner Pearson signed a three-year deal at $3.25 million. And he was at the same level of scoring as RNH. And a lot of people felt the Pearson deal was an overpay. So that was historically low for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And I think there was some yeah. bad puck luck involved there. But each, I don't... If if he gets like a six-year deal at $6 million, Bruce, I think that's a mistake mm-hmm. at this point. Like, Well, he had seven even strength goals this year. And this after uh, consecutive years of 13, 18, 19, and 15. This year he dropped to seven. Now, granted, the season was shorter, um, but not that much shorter. So he would have had and, 10, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And his uh, he had eight assists at even strength, and only two of them were primary assists, and the others were secondary assists. And when you think of the offensive opportunity that he had, like I say, he played more with Connor McDavid than any other teammate, including the goalies. You know, like he played a lot on that first uh, line. And despite McDavid racking up the points at, at historic rate, uh, and of course he racked them up on the power play too, but he got a, a whole ton of them at even strength. Uh, and it, 
it wasn't filtering down some somehow. So, so some pretty weird stuff with the Oilers this year. I mean, yeah. Here's here's one for you. The Oilers' top two forwards had more points than all the other sixteen forwards combined. The top two guys outscored the entire rest of the forward core. The number two ranked forward, not the number one, the number two ranked forward outscored the numbers three, four, and five forwards combined. Like, <laughs> how do you explain this? And and there's, you know, I mean, I'd say the writing is on the wall that Ken Holland's got work to do in terms of upgrading his support offense. Like, I don't know how it could be any clearer than that. You know, his top two are not the problem. And whether you replace Nugent Hopkins with another guy, obviously they have to bring in at least one uh, winger who can put the biscuit in the basket. And if you're going to uh, move on from Nugent Hopkins and bring in another one who can put the biscuit in the basket, and then, okay, how many good left-wingers are there on the market? And there's 32 teams out there, and you want the orders to get two of those guys now? You know, they're going to have to overpay probably. And you're back in the same. Well, this is why I, Friedman Singh rely on the younger guys. Like, So if, if Dylan Holloway or Ryan, Mc, mm-hmm. like, could Ryan McLeod score at that same level at even strength that, that Nugent Hopkins did this year? I, yeah, I, I think it's pretty safe bet you could, Tyler Benson could. It's such a low level, right, to replace. So yeah. uh, it's not, it's not optimal. You want to replace it. You want to upgrade it. You certainly, yeah, you want a guy who's getting about, you know, like Nugent Hopkins did the previous year. We yeah, got more than you two want, points you want, 60. You want R&H back. That was, you know, you want the yeah. huge back that, that, uh, that finishes plays and gets his name on the PA system on a regular basis. And, and so, but the question is how much are you willing to bet that this was just one down season and he's going to bounce back with several good ones. Yeah, yeah, Bruce. It's mm-hmm. a tough one, isn't it? Like this is a really, oh, yeah. this is a tough moment uh, because, yeah. and uh, do you have a number in mind and a term for your contract that you like, what, what would get, okay. What contract would make you upset and what would you think is reasonable? Like, have you, it's hard to imagine him going for less even as you know this last season like he could point to two very strong seasons immediately prior to this i think it's a bigger question is term like i'm on the boat of you know two or three year term is is good pay the guy but don't pay him until the end of time you know and you know same like same level is sort of high high watermark as, as far as I'm concerned. It's just darn toot and shame that Dylan Holloway broke that finger uh, yeah. because we would have seen him in Bakersfield, but broke his thumb because we would have mm-hmm. seen him. We would have a better idea. Like is, if he had yeah. ripped it up in the AHL and looked right. like a real like a real force down there, we might be thinking, oh well, you know, there there that is a reasonable solution. I mean, Dylan Holloway just crushed it uh, in college hockey. Okay. He was one of the you know, very best players at that level. So, but uh, you just can't have that certainty right now, can you? There is no chance that Ken Holland has got Dylan Holloway penciled anywhere near his top six for next year. No chance. Like, I'm not sure he's got him penciled in his NHL roster. He's going to have him, uh, all things being equal, starting in Bakersfield. And if he rips it up down there, then he'll come up and play in the bottom part of the roster up here. You know, and that's... 
Are you sure, Bruce? Yeah, yeah. I'm well. I'm pretty sure. I mean, Ken Holland is Ken Holland. I mean, his uh, likelihood of uh, of um, of putting a 20 year old kid in on the uh, I mean, maybe he is Estetikin, and I've made that comparison before. But uh, uh, it'll be not easier to make it if it could stay healthy. Which this year he got banged up two different times, which didn't help at all. Um. When Dylan Larkin broke in, he was drafted mm-hmm. 15th overall. Yeah. Same, point. very similar player. Um, he broke in with the Red Wings when he was 19 years old, Bruce. Right. And um, very similar player. Same size, same player profile. I think Philip Zadina, in uh, his first year, got a chance in Detroit right out of the chute. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he flopped. Yeah, he flopped. Dylan Larkin didn't. So right, Ken. Listen, Ken Holland was one guy when he had all kinds of good players on the team, and then when he didn't, when he had a crappy team and needed to slot players, and he just resorted to what everyone mm-hmm. resorts to is best player available gets the chance. So I, I would say that there is a, a non-zero chance that that Dylan Holloway um, is uh, on the Oilers' roster to start next season, yeah. and it might if. Dylan Larkin worked out, and uh, so could Holloway. So we'll see. It's not planned. I don't think it's a great bet, but I don't think he's telling Connor McDavid, "Hey, Connor, we got your new left winger for you next season, and it's going to be this guy we just drafted last year that has zero games of pro experience." But boy, we sure think he's going to work out on your on your line. I just don't see that as being the the organizational strategy. Uh, and I think it would be a fail, Bruce. Like I'm saying, I'm just, I was, I'm just arguing <laughs> yep. with you because that's what I do. I argue with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devil's I, advocate. Yeah. Uh, I, but on this, yeah, I just can't see Holland doing that as his sort of primary uh, plan. I just can't see it. Holland's got a, but is it too much to, to hope that he actually pulls off a really good deal? You know, you know, other teams do it. Other teams figure it out and they bring in really like, you know, Toronto brought in Brody last year and uh, he's such a good defenseman. Can it, can they not? And they, they found a way to bring in Jake Muzzin and, you know, they've done it. Toronto's brought in some good players. Cannot the Oilers bring in a good player on the wing to play with this guy? And it uh, shouldn't be impossible. Shouldn't be impossible. And the Oilers do have some cap space. And you know what? They can. So let's say they. So they have this cap space this year. It's clear that they've got a couple slots. Even if they sign Nugent Hopkins, they should be able to bring in one more player. Mm-hmm. Then you. Then you. Let's say you hold on to James Meal one year, and then you buy him out the year after. Then you've got year. That's where you get the cap space the next year, I guess. Uh, I think yeah. the cap space is tighter than people think. I've looked at the cap space in years to come, and I think it's tighter than everyone thinks the owners have this big ball of money. It, no, I don't think that they actually do. I think it goes away fast. If, if no. you, when you pay nurse and you have to, if let's say pull the pans out and you got to, and you want to pay, you want to pay him $5 million a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's the hope. And I, I don't think it's a, I think it's a reasonable expectation that yes, a pulley can continue to progress. And we're going to see a player who scores between 20 and 30 goals next year in a full season. Why, why wouldn't that happen? Um, happens to other good young players all the time. <laughs> Hopefully we can see that from him. So when that happens, 
you know, it's not going to be easy, but I think there's a way to bring in one more player, sign Nuge, bring in another player. Now it's, then you're maybe tough in net. You don't have money for a goalie. So, but, uh, and you certainly don't have money for another lefty. I don't think that's in the cards at all. I mean, I know people are talking about the order should bring in someone there, but, um, anyway, yeah, I think the Holland should bring in a, a veteran, good veteran winger to play with Connor McDavid. Can I name that player? No, I don't know who that is. I, that's not, I don't go over every NHL team and study them. Like we do the orders. I don't put in that kind of work. They've got the money and the staff. They should be doing that. They should have identified who that player is, who has mm-hmm. the particular attributes who can mm-hmm. fit in with McDavid. And they're going to have to think hard about that because no. it's, it's not every player who's going to be able to do it, but they, they got to find that guy. That's job one this summer. And it's, and it's, more than anything, how we're going to rate uh, Ken Holland. Well, they need to find a guy who can play, uh, plays a strong two-way game, uh, I think. And yeah. uh, even if he doesn't score a million goals, but if he can, um, uh, you know, if, if he can score goals, and uh, one guy I like is uh, Blake Coleman that's in uh, Tampa Bay that's going to be a free agent. He's going to be a, he's going to, earn a raise and Tampa Bay isn't going to be able to give them that raise uh, unless they can sink two or three more guys on long-term injured reserve next year, the way they did Kucherov this year, he said bitterly. Um, but uh, you can also look at Tampa Bay and maybe target a player like uh, Andre Palat, who's um, 30 years old. He's got a contract. Uh, I think it's $5.3 million cap hit. And Tampa's got to shed salary somehow, and you could probably get that guy for not very much acquisition cost. I mean, Tampa had put Tyler Johnson on on waivers this year because they were just trying to dump dump um, salary. So you wouldn't necessarily have to pay the value of the player to acquire him and then pay him that contract. You'd be doing Tampa, uh, you know, Tampa would be looking to move guys along and maybe him or Alex Kalorn, you know, they got some good players that are getting well paid, but they're getting well paid to be good players and uh, who've, you know, been to uh, the mountaintop at this stage of their career. So maybe that's a that's a shopping area would be some other team that's up against the cap and and take a good player off them for a relatively cheap cost. And, and Tampa is the obvious example of a team that uh, might be uh, susceptible to that kind of a deal. Just want to look at Coleman's even strength scoring this year. I got the old chart up. So he was, yeah, that's more like it, Bruce. He was, um, oh, come on. Just, um, he was 20 50, goal years. He was 50, 54th in NHL even strength scoring, Bruce. Wow. 2.47 points per 60, which is more than double a Nugent Hopkins rate. Zach Hyman, 2.46 per 60, 57th overall in the NHL. Sam Bennett was 59th in the NHL, by the way, 2.45 per 60. There's lots of players in that range and they got to target one of them and they got to get them. And that's that's as simple as that. And And with Nugent Hopkins, like, Listen, they needed him. They there there was a slot on the first top line. He didn't. He didn't. That didn't work. There was a there's a slot at second line center. That hasn't worked either. 
So to me, the priority is this, this other guy who can, they think can fill this slot that they absolutely, that's job one is getting that guy. And that's, that's gotta be the focus this year. So we'll see who it is. And that's, Holland's got to do it. So I agree with you. Like if you go to Dylan Holloway, if that's your plan, that's a poor plan at this point uh, with, with Connor McDavid poor on the plan team. plan A. Very poor plan and if A. He kills, if he kills it, but you can't say now in, where are we, May, end of May, you can't say he's going to kill it in September and October and be 100% ready. You just cannot make that supposition. You only have to assume he's going to need development time. Here's an interesting one. Da- Daniel Sprong in Washington mm-hmm. had, uh, he didn't play that many minutes, 461, but he was uh, <clears throat> 43rd in even strength scoring for NHL forwards, 2.6 per game. He was on waivers yeah. last year, as I recall. <clears throat> so yeah, there's always going to be he doesn't pop up. That, 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 that you ha- points per 60 in, in yeah. over one season could be misleading. We can all, I think we'll agree on that. But that's an interesting, but, uh, you know, some of these other guys like Coleman, they've done it for a few years in a row, haven't they? So, and they bring the defensive element that I think you really want to have, uh, on your forward line. So that, um, uh, especially on a McDavid line, you want guys that can, you know, battle and win pucks and who can, uh, take care of business in the defensive end. And in the case of Blake Coleman or Alex Kalorn be a good penalty killer as well. Right. Uh, that's you know sort of value added, but um, you, when you're paying, when you're investing in a, in a winger, you want to, you want guys that bring complementary skills yes. to uh, what you already have, and what you already have is two high high end offensive aces. Yeah, and and for the third lines and third and fourth lines, I don't want to see them go that route where they bring in these twenty seven year old tweeners anymore. Like they have. Marody and Benson and McLeod and players like this. What the owners need is like a guy to turn out like Mason Appleton uh, oh. did in Winnipeg. That guy really impressed the heck out of me as a two-way mm-hmm. winger. And yeah. that's what the owners need to do. They need to say, to they need to find out, okay, which of you, Marody, Benson and McLeod, who's our Mason Appleton here? And we're going to, we're going to try, all three of you are competing for, for those, that role. And, you know, I suspect one of them will be that guy, can be that guy. And uh, they just have to commit to that kind of thing. So Nuge, Nuge can, you know, you pay him like a second line winger gets paid in the NHL. And, mm-hmm. um, but you, you, you're saving your, you're saving your most money for the guy who's going to be your first line winger with Connor McDavid. And it's, it's not Leon, can't be Leon Settle again. That doesn't work. So this yeah. is the way. <laughs> Uh, we'll see what happens, Bruce. Yeah. How, how, what will you think if he Nuge signs with another team? If he signs, if he decides to gamble on another team on a one year deal, that'll break my heart, right? If he doesn't, you know, go with the Oilers on that deal, that would be really upsetting. Go ahead. I can't see that, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're, when you hear words like mangled, I mean, it's not quite bungled, but it's tending in that direction. Uh, contract negotiations, or maybe they just have different valuations of, of worth. And I mean, probably the Nuge camp might be thinking, we should have signed that contract offer when it was there, because since then his value has has gone down. He did not you know, put together a, a platform season on which you can 
basically huge uh, contract offer. You have to go back into his body of, of work and hope that after 10 years in the league that he's not at peaked at the top of the curve and it's starting on the way down. That's a big gamble for anybody to go deep on. Yeah, you could see. So let's let's dig into that mangled thing. I think what probably most likely mangled it was just as the season's going along and he's not getting, he's not setting up McDavid for goals and McDavid isn't setting up him for goals. This has got to be alarming to the team. And that's probably what mangled it was they, the orders might've had a contract offer there. And I wonder if it wasn't, there wasn't second thoughts on it, which would make sense at, you know, at that point you you have to pay, you pay for performance in the NHL. So I could see that mangling it. I mean, and that would be very hard for the player to accept, right? Like to, Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. You know, that would just be very upsetting and, and annoying and you might even feel mm-hmm. betrayed on some level if, if that's that was the case. But what are you going to do? I do know that McDavid put in a good word for him after the season, him and Larson, as being part of the leadership group along with, uh, of course, himself, Drysaddle and Nurse, as being, you know, all the guys wearing the letters. And McDavid did say that. So for him, for Nuge and Larson, it's... Uh, uh, you know, uh, um, a vote of confidence from McDavid's not the worst thing they can have going into negotiations, but it's I, not going to get it done all on itself. I think that's important, and I think that's really you have to take that into consideration. But the thing that's the thing that's going to keep Connor McDavid happy and Leon Dreisaitl happy in Edmonton is winning, and winning happens with the the right decision, not the yeah. not the what feels like the right decision. It's the hard headed decision. So. I, I want Ken Holland to be as hard-headed as he's ever been here. And I also want Nuge to be hard-headed. I, I think if they both are, that there's a deal to be had here, a short-term deal for decent money and a kind of a, a, a vote in, a vote, enough of a vote of confidence in the player where I don't think he wants, I'd be surprised, like players that age, they want to get settled a little bit. So I, I think we're looking at three years, Bruce. I, I don't know if one or two years is going to do it. Right. But maybe it's three years at $5.5 million. Um mm-hmm something like that. Uh, if you go, if you go as high as three years or certainly four years, you get down to 5 million. Like for every year you, 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 you say, okay, one year at 6.5, two years at six, three years, 5.45, four years at five. Mm-hmm. That's the offer. This is a fair offer. And that is a fair offer. Like it really is. I think, uh, would, am I crazy? Mm-hmm. Don't answer that. But yeah, is that offer crazy? No, I no, it, it kind of makes sense to do it on a sliding scale like that, where, you know, the further out you go, you know, you're, the player's going to be a year older each and every year. I mean, we did I, we did see that with uh, four-year contracts that were signed by Chris Russell and Zach Cassian. Neither contract is considered in a good light by a lot of people, but in each case, the player clearly took a fourth player, a fourth year that lowered the cap hit for the for the full term and it wasn't necessarily a case of one, two, three, four, but it was three at this money or four at that money in the fourth year took a big piece out of it. And I think that kind of contract in general for players that are, you know, reaching and maybe a little beyond their peak makes sense. You know, you want more term Well, you're going to have to give on the cap on the cap hit side. Yeah, and then there's the whole no movement clause aspect of it, and so you could certainly give Nugent one year no movement, mm-hmm. maybe two, tops. After mm-hmm. that, though, no, I don't think so. Like I just, you just, you can't do that because 
the the performance wasn't there. That the performance this year was was alarming, at even strength, and um, wasn't you know there's some things that, that that make you think he can turn it around definitely, but this is a definitely kind of a turnaround at even strength situation. I don't think there's any question about that. So we need someone here as a huge nuge advocate, Bruce, to tell us how wrong we are. Um, mm-hmm. so, some fans say like, well, you're not going to get a better player than him on the open market. That's, that's the, the, the you're just not going to do it. And maybe that's true, but I don't know. Um, there's the allure of playing with Connor McDavid. Right. Um, if you're a top player and I don't think that's insignificant. I don't, I think that's kind of defeatist thinking. And I, I, I think that you, you, you could get a good player to come here and play. If that's the, mm-hmm. if that's the pitch to play with Lucic decided to do that. He wasn't the right player, but he had other offers. Um, yeah. uh, Tyson Berry decided to come here mm-hmm. and, um, at, probably at a discount. He probably maybe could have got more at other player places. So see how this goes. I, I, I think we've anything other thoughts? Well, it's also a matter of the one you know versus the one you don't know. Is Blake Coleman a better player at this point in his career than Ryan Nugent Hopkins? You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I can say, well, you know, he wasn't even drafted and Nugent was the first overall pick and so on. Well, yeah. you know, it's what have you done uh, lately and what, um, uh, what you know? I mean, Coleman got 31 points this year, but 29 of them were at even strength. Like he wasn't given the power play function, or they don't need him on the power play. I guess when you got uh, uh, when you got uh, uh, Stamkos and a point and so on running your power play, you probably don't need that. So Edmonton can find solutions for this part and that part. I mean, they had to replace Clefbaum. On three different teams, they had to replace them on the five-on-five team, the power play, and the penalty kill, and even the overtime team, for that matter. You know, they had to. They had to. Find who can fill in for him here? Nurse is not really going to do his job on the power play, but we can up his minutes on the penalty kill. You know, find find your solutions from elsewhere in the roster. You're not just going to find a new clone that you're going to sign that's going to just come in and do all the same things. You're going to going to have to. Uh, be a little creative. Yeah, I think the Oilers have a strong bargaining position with the with the player, mm-hmm. and they don't want to be jerks about it. Obviously, they mm-hmm. want to be uh, make a decent offer. But there's there's oh. lots of options, and especially with the the, the this cap is flat. There's very few right. teams that that are good teams that can bid on players. Uh, they can get creative with players they have, and mm-hmm. sometimes they can work something out. I mean, other teams seem to do it regularly. I say better, somewhat bitterly, but there's going to be players who probably come come loose. Like Dominic Cahoon was a really good bet last year for the Oilers. He had 2.3 points per 60, which is second line level of scoring. And that player suddenly came to the Oilers. There's going right. to be other players like that, other good bets that you can have for um, uh, not so much money, I think. Um, there's teams that are, they're broke and they're not going to get much better going forward. They're going to have their own internal caps, uh, which are lower than the NHL salary cap. That's going to be more common in the next few years. Right. So uh, it's just a time. It's good that the it's good that the Oilers didn't sign Nugent Hopkins last summer, for instance, to to a big long term deal. Um, 
they have a better chance now of of giving him his val what his real value is um, in in the in the years to come, and they also have a good chance in the next few years of finding some players for one or two two or three million dollars a year who can really help this team win, and uh, got to keep that in mind as they as they negotiate this diffi- this contract. What's your bet? Is he back or not? Oh boy, um, is sixty forty a bet? Sure. Yeah, I'd say more likely than not, but by no means is it a slam dunk. And it may take a while. I mean, it may take that they give him an offer, he sits on it, and he maybe wants to test the market, or maybe even just wants to talk to Seattle and say, you know, if Seattle's out there, like just down the road from uh, from uh, Burnaby uh, uh, on the West Coast, you know, Pacific Northwest, where, you know, I'm comfortable if they come in, they say, we see you as a long-term fit here and we're going to offer you a six-year deal, he maybe signs it and then that solves at least the expansion draft uh, aspect where if, a, if Seattle signs a free agent from Edmonton, then they no longer are obliged to give him another player in the expansion draft. So that at least has some value. But maybe if he goes to Seattle and they say, no, we're going to build a different way and we're not looking for a salary, and he, that'll be all he needs to say. And I'm not sure what my market value is. I got this offer in Edmonton. Sign it. And they sneak him through the expansion draft that way. You know, I mean, there, it's it's very likely to good chance it'll go down to the wire like that. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the Clefbaum comparison you brought up was really interesting, Bruce, because, you know, mm-hmm. who would have thought that the Oilers, you know, a lot of people were kind of predicting doom there, but there wasn't doom. Mm-hmm. They figured it out. They had players who replaced him adequately. It, 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 you know, not as, not maybe not as good as Clefbaum at even strength, mm-hmm. but they, their, their penalty kill eventually figured it out. The power play didn't miss a beat. They, they brought in a, a player on a one-year deal. So I think they, if, Six million dollars is a lot of money in this in this uh, new NHL, and if Nuge moves on, I think that they're going to be able to to figure it out. Um, so that should be foremost on their mind in in terms of the negotiation that that they're in terms of avoiding a contract that they're really you know likely. If they go long term with Nuge, I just think that the chances of them re- regretting it are really high, and I would say that about a. Not just not personal against Nuge, it's just no, all no. kinds of players entering their 30s. They tend to fall off, and some of them fall off fast. So, got to be aware of that. Yeah, any contract where you commit more years of a guy's 30s than his 20s, you're taking a risk. That's that's uh, how I would parse it on a numbers basis in terms of age, right? Early 30s are fine, but if you're if you're buying early 30s into mid 30s, you know, in his case, he's 28. So, yeah. you know, a six-year deal takes him to 34. No, uh, thanks. No, yeah, I don't want no. that. 29, 30, 31? Yeah. And then I'll, sign we'll him again. If that. He's, and then sign yeah. him again if you're still playing. Yeah. But the, the, the NHL economics have changed, shifted fundamentally, I think, for the next five years. Maybe it'll change again, but the orders have got to be on top of this, not behind the trend. But, mm-hmm. but um, like, you know, when they signed Cassian, they weren't aware of the trend. So there's a little right. slack there, right? But yeah. McDavid and Dreisaitl's contract, you know, you might have hoped that the, the percentage of the cap that they, their contracts were taking up was going to lessen as the cap went up. And that would give the team options. That didn't happen. They have these two huge contracts to take a big yeah. percentage of the cap. This is their reality. They've got to be parsimonious with the other money they throw around. Yeah. And it's time for that kind of attitude to prevail and, and to, to do, continue just to do value shopping and not to hand out 
it means less money for the players, other veteran players. Well, luckily the two big guys are covering the bet, but it would have been better if it was $21 million out of an $87 million cap than an 81.5 yeah. or, you know, 90 next year. Who knows what it would have kept going up, but the trends always were percentage of cap at the beginning of the contract gradually lessens over the term because the cap keeps going up and that. Unfortunately, it's gone away, so it lessens the value of those two contracts, but I would argue they're, they're producing value and then some at that price for those two big guys but the they got to do better with the supporting cast um aspect of the roster and especially on the top six Alrighty, do you want to leave it there then sure Alrighty. we'll have other free agents to be talking about as we come and we'll be starting of course our uh season reviews of the uh uh, of the uh, players' performance, and we're going to look primarily first at the free agents because those are the ones that uh, decisions have to come up on uh, in short order. Yeah, so you'll be writing about the Nuge, uh, Adam Larson, Mike yep. Smith. Yep. Tyson Berry. Tyson Berry. Uh, yep. So. And we'll do uh, podcasts on each of those players as well. Okay. All right. Thanks for talking today, Bruce. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.